Thank you for listening to the Collective Church Podcast. Collective is a church for the rest of us, which means if you have never been to church, walked away from the church, or are struggling to find a church you connect with, you belong here. Right now, Collective is fully online, so if you like the podcast, make sure to check us out on Facebook at My Collective Church on Sunday mornings at 9.25 a.m. for Collective Online. We would love for you to join us. A lot of big things are going on at Collective, so make sure not to miss a week this fall as we will be sharing about how God is moving in our church and what is next for Collective. Now, let's get into today's message. It's after Thanksgiving, which means it's officially the Christmas season. For those of you who jumped the gun and put up your Christmas decorations before Thanksgiving, you get a pass this year because of COVID. But now is the time when it's 24-7 Christmas. Christmas music, Christmas movies, Christmas shopping, Christmas cheer. And at Collective, it's the start of our Christmas sermon series. And whether we're in person or online, we try to make this series a little extra special, if you couldn't already tell this morning, from worship. So we decorate a little bit more. We sing a few carols each week during our worship sets. And we support local organizations who are trying to make an impact for Christmas, like the Frederick Rescue Mission and their toy drive. And all of this will lead up to our Christmas Eve services on the 23rd and 24th, which we will share details about soon. I feel like something's missing, though. Oh, wait. Much better. So today, we're kicking off a new series called All I Want for Christmas And it's all about Mariah Carey's Christmas classic that you know and love. If you don't know the song, I'm going to sing it for you right now. Just kidding. Just look it up on Spotify. The real reason we're doing this series is because Christmas time, as magical as it may seem, often leaves us wanting. And as adults, instead of asking for a Red Ryder BB gun or a Barbie dream house, we find ourselves hoping and wishing for bigger things that can't, that can't be wrapped up and placed under a tree. If we're honest, we want our life to look like a Hallmark movie where all of our troubles go away at Christmas time, where the magic of Christmas helps us find true love, get out of debt, become parents, heal the relationship that seemed broken forever, break the addiction that has left a wake of destruction, get the fresh start in the new town with the new career. Ultimately, we often get to Christmas and realize that we want something different than what we currently have. And this isn't much unlike the story of the birth of Jesus. But here's the thing. Christians have this really bad habit of trying to hallmark all the stories in the Bible. When reading the Bible, we have a tendency to ignore the parts that don't make us feel good. Or we read something to try to change its meaning to better fit the narrative that we prefer. In fact, when I was in middle school, I started going to church and I remember being over at my grandma's house. My dad was talking to her about some of the things that he had been reading in his Bible. And my grandmother, who was a very devout Catholic, was arguing with my dad about a story that he had read. And her response to him was, that's not in my Bible. And listen, there are different English translations of the Bible. Some are truer to the original Greek text. Some are easier to read than others, like the NLT, which is what we read at Collective. Some are full of words that you wouldn't understand because it was translated into English a few hundred years ago and hasn't changed since then. But they're not different versions of the Bible and that some stories are included and some aren't. All versions of the Bible are pretty much the same. 
So it wasn't like my grandmother had a Bible that didn't include the story that my dad was talking about. It was just a story that she chose to skip. And what we try to do is hallmark the Bible and make it a little bit more palatable, a little easier to hear because we prefer stories that end like this. Because they loved God, they all lived happily ever after. And we do this to the Christmas story. Think about it. Think of the nativity scene that you put up on your mantle this year or close your eyes and try to picture the Christmas story in your head. What do you see? One big happy family, sweet animals kneeling in reverence to baby Jesus, a mother and a father who are filled with joy because their baby sleeps through the night without any issues. That's not at all how it played out. Sure, that's the version we tend to learn in church, but the birth of Jesus was not a Hallmark movie. It was more like real life. So for this series, I went back to read the story of the birth of Jesus in the Bible. And I wanted to know what was it really like? What really happened? Because this story is about real people living real lives in a really, really hard time in history. I mean, think about this. This story is about real people who had things happen to them that had never happened to anyone before. It's not like they could say, well, this happened last time and this is what she did. There was no Bible where they could skip a few chapters ahead to see how it all worked out. And so every person we're gonna look at from now until Christmas Eve had a very human response to the circumstances they were in. Real people, not Bible people, real people having their lives turned upside down. And again, we struggle with that, so we sanitize it and we hallmark it so that we can tell ourselves that they're different than me that the people in this story have information that I don't have, or they've tapped into something that isn't available to me. But here's the bottom line. When I choose to think of these people as characters in a story rather than real people, then I can take them out of this normal category and I can point to that and use that as an excuse to say, they're not like me. And you can't expect me to be like that because I'm different. So here's the main takeaway for this series. No, they're not. No, they're not. They are just like you and me. And we are just like them. And we understand their pain and their doubts and their fears and their insecurities, just like Jesus understands ours. Check this out in Hebrews 4. This is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. This is what it says. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, And that word high priest, some of us have different versions or expectations of what a priest is. Bottom line, a priest is simply a person who connects normal people to God. So if you grew up Catholic and you wanted to talk to God or hear from God, it's possible that at some point somebody told you that you weren't really qualified to do that, right? So you had to go to a special building and then into a special booth. And then you sat down and slid this little door open. And then you would ask someone else, could you tell God this for me? And they would say back, this is what God says to do. And that priest is the one who communicated to God for you. But Jesus comes along and says, I'm your priest. You don't need another human being to go between you and God. I will be your ultimate. I will be the highest of all high priests. Let's keep reading. But we have one, a high priest, who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. 
Right? So we don't have a high priest that's unable to empathize, unable to understand our weaknesses and our pain. We have a savior who understands, who has felt the things that we have, who has had the doubts that we've had. So let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. And what this is saying is you and I, we have permission to go right up to God with confidence that he will take us. No matter what's going on in our life, no matter what we've done wrong, no matter what other people have done wrong to us, whatever is going on in our life, we can go right up to God with confidence. And here's why. And this is so important because his response will be, I get it. I understand. So everything that's tempted me to sin and to disobey God, to run, to quit, to tap out and say, I can't do this. Jesus looks at us and says, I know I've been there. And that blows my mind that Jesus understands what's going on in my life, in my heart, in my mind, because it's dark sometimes. And Jesus looks back with empathy and says, I get it. I know. So if that's true, if Jesus didn't get a pass when it came to the hard things in life, and even though he's a son of God, he doesn't get some special bubble around his life that keeps all the hard stuff out. If Jesus didn't get a pass, that logically means that all the people that are connected to Jesus, all the people in this story, all the people in the story uh, throughout his life, it means they didn't get a pass either. They didn't get a magic bubble around them. They weren't tapped into a guardians of the universe superpower or something like that. It means that they are not different than me and you. It means they're just like us. And that changes everything. Because if we can actually understand what really happened in this story to regular people who are just like us, then maybe we can start connecting the dots to say that story from a long time ago is actually about my life even today. And all of the people in the Christmas story got up out of bed thinking, today is going to be a day just like yesterday. Then God showed up. He commanded something. He did something. He allowed something. He caused something to happen. And they bumped into them hard and they find themselves asking, what do I do now? So we're going to start today with Joseph. And this series will end on Christmas Eve with Mary because they're kind of the stars of the show. And you may have heard the story of the birth of Jesus before, but here's the new lens I want you to listen to this story through. How do I relate to this person? How do I relate to this person? And throughout this series, we're going to jump back and forth in two of the biographies of Jesus that were written by Matthew and Luke. So let's start with the beginning of the story with Luke chapter one. This is what it says. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. So Mary lives in the country of Israel, and Israel is a long, skinny country that's divided into thirds. And one of those thirds is called Galilee, and Mary is from a town there called Nazareth. And Mary is also a virgin. Now, if you don't know what that is, ask your parents. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Now, during that time, marriage was prearranged. This means that Mary and Joseph's parents got together, had a meeting to decide if they would be a good match. And when they decided it was, they came up with something called a dowry, which was the price that Joseph would have to pay to get permission to wed her. And maybe it was some livestock or some money or some land. 
And Mary's family accepted it, so they became engaged. The story continues with Gabriel, the angel, saying this, You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. And this is really important. Gabriel tells Mary that Jesus will be a descendant of David. Who else is a descendant of David? Joseph, her fiance. But Mary asked the angel, but how can this happen? I'm a virgin. The angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy and he will be called the Son of God. Now, if we just stop the story there, that's hard enough to deal with. An angel appears to tell you that you're going to give birth to the Savior of the world. No pressure. But there are still nine months until that happens. And she has something else that she has to deal with right away. Telling Joseph. And you can just imagine how that went. Right? They're out on a date at their favorite hipster coffee shop. She's kind of distracted by the big news. And Joseph senses that something's off. And then Mary speaks up. Hey, Joe. I need to tell you something, but it's going to sound a little weird. So the other night I was laying in my bed and, you know, something woke me up. And you'll never guess what or, or who was in my room. It was an angel. And he told me that I was going to have God's baby and name him Jesus. So surprise, I'm pregnant. Right? So an ordinary guy, an ordinary guy gets told by his virgin fiance, I'm pregnant with God's baby. What would you do? Like, seriously, what would you do? I can tell what you're not going to do. You're not going to break into the song, Joy to the World, right? You wouldn't do that. You would kick her to the curb. And Joseph is a real person. So that's what he wanted to do, right? And we don't talk about this story in church. We just jump right to the end where it all worked out. But check this out. Let's read Matthew 1 and see how Joseph responds. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother, Mary, which pledged to be, was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. He was done. It was over. Right? He filed papers. And because culturally at this time, you had to get a divorce to end an engagement. That's what he was going to do. And here's the other thing. Back in Jesus's day, committing adultery or being pregnant outside of marriage was a capital offense. And Joseph knew this, which is why he was hoping to divorce her quietly because although he didn't want to stay with her, he didn't want anything bad to happen to her. But this wasn't what Joseph wanted. He didn't want to be a stepdad and raise a kid that wasn't his own. He didn't want to deal with a public opinion about his marriage because the child was being born out of wedlock. He didn't want to start off his marriage this way. He didn't want his family to look like this. This wasn't what he had dreamt it would be. Does that sound familiar? Are any of you living in that right now? And this Christmas, you're saying, all I want for Christmas is a marriage where we don't constantly fight. All I want for Christmas is a marriage where our past baggage from failed relationships doesn't cause insecurities and hurt our intimacy. All I want for Christmas is a relationship where trust hasn't been broken, is a family where we don't have to walk around on eggshells all the time. 
And we are asking for a Christmas miracle to magically fix all of these family problems that we have that we don't want to deal with anymore. And so Joseph decides to divorce Mary, but then this happens. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son. And you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save people from their sins. The angel says, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. It's not what you expected. It's not perfect. It's not what culture says is the ideal family situation. But don't be afraid. And we don't know what happened next. But in my mind, he does what many of us do when our world has been turned upside down. And he just sat there. I mean, you know that he couldn't go to sleep right away. He probably wasn't very hungry, but he had a decision to make. Right? This wasn't what I expected. This isn't how I expected my marriage to go. This wasn't what I thought my family would look like. This wasn't what I wanted. But the story continues. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him. and He took Mary home as his wife, but he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son and he gave him the name Jesus. I don't know exactly how it went down, but I imagine he woke up the next morning and hopped on his donkey and rode over to Mary's house and told her, I'm not going anywhere. I'm going to stick with you. I'm going to be this little boy's dad. We can do this. And there is no way that this was easy. Just because an angel showed up doesn't mean it was smooth sailing. Right? And some of you have been there. But Joseph loved God and he had faith in God's goodness. He believed this was of God, so he stayed, right? And most people wouldn't blame him if he walked away and said, peace out, but he trusted God. So let's go back to the question I asked earlier to hold on to. How do I relate to this person, right? How do I relate to this person? What does this story have to do with us? Well, the odds of you watching today, then later tonight, bumping into an angel is zero, Right? If you wake up in the middle of the night to a glowing man in your room, call 911. An angel isn't going to come up to you and say, you are special and this is what's going to happen to you. But I do believe there will come a time in your life when your marriage isn't going as you expected, when your family is struggling, when you're dealing with pain because your expectations of being a spouse don't match up with reality, when you have to make a choice about how you respond to the hard things in your life. And you're going to be confronted with something that feels just impossible and just as crazy and just as scary as everything that Joseph went through. And life is going to explode. Life is going to fall apart. And here's what you're going to ask. How can I get through this? How am I going to make it? Because what I'm facing is impossible. And you know what? You're right. On your own, it will crush you. And some of you know what I'm talking about because you've been through the valley in your relationships. And the only reason you came out the other side is because you didn't go through it alone. Because on your own, if God isn't good, if God isn't who he says he is, if God makes you promises, but he doesn't show up, that's impossible. And it's gonna crush you. But if God is who he says he is, and he really is that good, and he makes promises and keeps them every time, then you will be able to get through it all. And I know what some of you are thinking. 
An angel told him to stay with Mary, so it's not that impressive that he followed through. Sure. It'd be easier to fight for your marriage or your family if an angel told you to. It'd be easier to forgive your father if an angel told you to. It'd be easier to leave the relationship you're in where Jesus isn't a priority if an angel told you to. It'd be easier to work less hours so that you can be more present as a parent if an angel told you to. It'd be easier to seek out therapy with your spouse because of past brokenness if an angel told you to. So we might not have an angel popping into our bedroom in the middle of the night, but we do have this story. We do have the Bible. And we do have the verses like the ones in Hebrews 4 that remind us that Jesus knows our struggles intimately and that we can go to him to receive grace and mercy whenever we want, no matter what. We have verses like Romans 8, and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. We have this verse in 2 Corinthians. Each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So Joseph's life was turned upside down, but he had the exact same, the same thing that we do, a God who loves us. So if you know that God is telling you to do something, to fix your marriage, to love those kids, to seek out forgiveness, even as you're doing that, even as you're doing it, you can register that God knows how you feel and he's with you. And here's the good news. God is in the resurrection business. He brings dead things back to life. He can redeem your marriage. He can redeem your family. He can redeem your parenting. He can redeem your relationship with your parents, your siblings, your spouse, whatever it is. God can bring those things back from the dead because that's what he does. And for those of you who don't follow Jesus and you're watching your life spin out of control, you're watching your family fall apart, you're surrounded by dead things, whatever it may be, please know that above everything, God wants to give you new life. And he knows what you're struggling with. He knows how it feels. He knows the pain. He's ready for you to come to him so that he can give you grace and mercy. And so if you don't follow Jesus, if you're looking for a fresh start, if you're looking for something better this Christmas, that's where you start with Jesus. And if you're ready to take that step or just talk to somebody about what that means for your own life, check the baptism box on your connection card online or on the app, and we will follow up with you this week so we can walk alongside you as you move toward what Jesus has to offer you with that grace and that mercy. So listen, if all you want for Christmas this year is the perfect family, well, I have bad news for you. There's no such thing. Even the best marriages are full of brokenness. The best relationships have baggage brought in from past sin. The best families have insecurities and doubts. But no matter how hard things are right now, there is a God and he is good. And he says that he loves you. He says that he can make impossible things possible in your life. He says that he will walk with you through the valley of the shadow of death. He says that he will give you strength when your strength is gone. He says that he understands and empathizes with us. And he says that we can approach him ourselves and he will give us mercy and grace for our relationships and for our life. And I need that. We all need that. Because the Christmas miracle isn't that everything will be fixed. It's that God is with us 
as we figure it all out. Let's pray. God, thank you so much um, that you are a God who empathizes. God, that you don't exist to just tell us what to do or uh, for behavior modification. God, ultimately you are a God uh, who exists so you can sit right beside us in our storm, in our mess. Um, God, ultimately with whatever is going on in our life. And God, we're thankful that we see that through the Bible. And, and, and realistically, we see that in the story of the birth of Jesus. God, that that wasn't what Joseph wanted. That wasn't the life that he dreamt of. That wasn't the desires of his heart. But God, even as he went through that season, as he, even as he tried to figure out how to be a dad, how to be a husband, how to deal with the public perception of what was going on in his own life, God, that no matter what he went through, he had you. And God, we know that when we are in a storm, when we are in struggles, when we are in valleys, God, we know that we can't do it alone. And so we're thankful that you're with us. And God, we're thankful that this story exists to remind us that real people just like us had their lives turned upside down, but you were with them. God, help us feel that this week. Um, God, as we deal with Christmas and the stress that it brings and the desires for our lives to be different or miracles to happen, God, ultimately, no matter what we want this Christmas season, my hope and my prayer is that each and every single one of us feels your presence in our life and knows that you are with us and you understand what we're going through. And God, we're just so thankful for that. We love you and pray these things in your name. Amen.